Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and joining me via the magic of Skype, it's a man who knows a lot more about the USL than I do. His name is Phil Grooms. Phil, hello. Hey, how's it going, Daryl? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I should apologize for not having you on sooner. I've genuinely been meaning to get you on at the end of the regular season, get you on as the playoffs are starting, get you on before the championship game. And now the USL season's over, so I guess it's a season review. Well, you know, I didn't want to keep asking you because I'm <laughs> such a huge fan. And so I didn't oh, want to thanks. be that huge fan that's like constantly bugging you to get on your show. But, you know, it's an honor to be on. I'm really excited to talk about it. All right. And let's lay out your credentials. You are one of the hosts of the USL show. Mm-hmm, that's right. And I've been covering St. Louis FC for about four years as well. So I've been I've been nerding out for a little while now. <laughs> With the USL show, I want to ask you this. I know there's quite a few of you that do it, but is it? Is it getting harder and harder to cover the league because there are just more and more teams? Like if I if I count correctly, between the East and the West, there were like thirty six teams this year, right? Thirty six teams. It was rough, and and it gets <laughs> year. We've had to really change the way we do things. Where you know, I was really jealous. There's a you know, League One, USL League One started this year, and there's a new podcast. And those guys, like, I listen to their show, and they're like oh, listing off three or four players in like five or six play sequences of each game because they're only covering five games a week. You're talking, about, so, you're talking about League One fun, right? Yeah, League One fun. Yeah, Ira Jersey's been on the show. I think you guys talked to Jason Weintraub too. And, yeah. Um, great guys, love the show. And, you know, they get to delve deep into each game and we're like over here just trying to list off the golden assist. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's getting very hard. And, and we just kind of take a big you know, a, a big look from the outside these days rather than being too tactically involved on each game. So it's worth um, letting our listeners know for this show that I'm really coming at the USL uh, Championship from a place of semi-ignorance this year, especially because in years previous, I've known a fair bit about the Eastern Conference because the Richmond Kickers were in there. But now that the Kickers are in the aforementioned League One, I really haven't paid any good amount of attention to the cham- attention to the championship. So I'm hoping that if we've got listeners who are fans of championship teams, they'll get something out of this show. But I'm also hoping that if you're just someone who hasn't paid attention, but like me is just sort of curious about the championship because it's American soccer, I think this will be a good show for you because I'll be asking the questions of an ignorant person, and Phil will give the answers of an informed person. So it should be a good setup. <laughs> so I guess my first question is, because I didn't get to see much of it, what was, what was the standard like in 2019 in the USL Championship? Um, was, it, was it better than previously? How does it compare to Major League Soccer? This year and last year, it got much better than the previous years. You know, I, I remember when I first came in the league following St. Louis, I was, you know, watching a lot of teams still kind of punting it and running a lot of long balls. And and at this point, we not only have a lot of teams trying to possess the ball or press, but they have working systems. They have triggers for presses. They have sequences of play. And each team plays a little bit different and has a little bit of a, of a different MO. And so, you know, there's still those teams out there that are doing, um, you know, a little bit of the boring soccer and that's how they win and that's fine. But, you know, we have a nice mix of, you know, deliberate tactics. And it's really been more and more fun to watch every year as also the players improve. Um, unfortunately, after the, the loss of NASL, USL kind of filled that void there. So, so, so that's what you attribute it to is that the USL was able to absorb some of those NASL players. 
that was a big step in improving yeah. the play. On top of better coaching, but yeah, a mix. I'd say two thirds of it was that. Yes. So that's really interesting for me to hear because I remember I watched a lot of the league in say like 2016 when we were covering the kickers. We were doing um play by play, and it did seem like the majority of teams had a six foot two or larger striker, and a lot of the game plan was get it to that guy. Um, so it's interesting to hear that tactically the league has has moved on. Um, what what about um in terms of the comparing it to major league soccer, like how? Do you think there are a lot of players in USL could make the jump to MLS? Uh, and I'd like to see them. This is a big thing I've been pushing, especially Ira Jersey really put it perfectly in one of his recent shows that I think if they were given the chances that super draft draftees were are given every year, yeah. and same price or less, you could get a veteran player who's been in the league for you know professional soccer for three to five years and have them ready to go in MLS, whereas we're, we're getting all these super draftees straight out of college, which the college game is what it is right now, and they don't have that professional experience, and they need to be trained up a little more. Maybe there's a little more raw talent, but I think there's an argument to be made that the USL has ready-made pros for the MLS that only need a little bit of sharpening in order to uh, be successful, and right now they're not giving those players the chance by and large. Any idea market. why? Do you have a theory as to why? I... I think since we haven't seen a lot, I think the success rate has been a little lower than people would like for them to start really putting a lot of money into it. And so, you know, Super Draft is just well established. It's always been a thing. USL is just now starting to get its feet under it being a really legit league. Um, and so, you know, we've got guys like Dane Kelly who killed it in the USL but didn't do too uh, much of anything with DC United last year. Right. Uh, there's a few other players sprinkled around, but only a few successful ones. And so I think we just need to see guys taking chances on a larger scale so we could get better optics on, you know, what is the percentage of successful players coming out of the USL? And, and so I think it'll take some time for that to really take hold. Can we name some successful players? Like the only one that comes to mind easily for me is, say, I think Mark, Mark Anthony Kay, right, um, who is now with LAFC, was originally in the USL? the poster child for you know what we're trying to do for sure but look at the system he went into on top of that and um also you know as a counter argument dan kelly went into dc united before um they really started doing well this year and you know that was a bad system for him and so um there is a little bit of that but sebastian abiaga is another good one he's been the third center back for nyc fc for um, a couple of years one of the best center backs in the league when he played for San Antonio FC about three years ago. So um, he's one, but Enzo Martinez from Charlotte is a Uruguayan player that. Yeah, you know, I remember him. Yeah, one of the assist leaders. I'm sure, you know, every time he came to St. Louis, I'd be quivering in my boots because <laughs> the guy is just a smart player. He knows how to pick out a pass. He's a good assister who could score at any place on the field as well. So, you know, he didn't do too well with the Rapids, but again, it was the Rapids. So, um, <laughs> and they were playing him as an eight, not as a 10. You know, a lot of arguments out there, but those are a couple of the, the situations we're looking at in the recent past. I know. I also, I remember that transfer, Martinez going from Charlotte to the Rapids, and I contacted both teams and just asked, if there was a fee or anything, and the response I got from both was just it's the terms were undisclosed, which made me think that there maybe wasn't a fee or there wasn't like a proper uh, like market mechanism. And it feels to me that that's what's missing, right? There's very little of, um, okay, this MLS team is going to bid $250,000 for this player who's impressing in the USL. That market just isn't there for some reason that um it's really with without mls actually coming after players aggressively and not wanting to pay for players 
Um, and, and the other side to that from a USL perspective is no player wants to sign more than a one or two year contract. Almost everyone's on a one year with an option year after that. I see. In order to, if they do too well, they don't want to be stuck with these USL clubs. And so, um, you know, it goes both ways. And an MLS team may not take a chance on a player if they have to purchase them. So um, that's part of the problem is these. And, and it's something that the USLPA, which is the Players Association, is ramping up um, their first year. They're starting their talks right now with the USL. That could affect it as well. Uh, but again, I think it's just going to take MLS taking chances with actual money for that to change. Oh, let's talk about the USLPA because there's, there's going to be a CBA, I think, for the first time. Is, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, does that pose any threat to the league? Because I know that you know some players' conditions aren't always great in the USL, right? So I wonder if, if the players make some demands and the owners can't meet. Is there any chance we see USL be a little unstable next year because of the, the upcoming CBA? I really think they're working together with the CBA because they realize how important it is to their stability to maintain happiness in their players. I think that's something I, and I went to business school and some of my best professors talked about making sure your employees are so happy that they don't even care to unionize that that doesn't (laughs) become. And so, um, you know, the USL is seeing, you know, they got to keep their players happy. All these large, um, expansion fees, it's up to about 10 million in the USL even. And, um, the players need to get a share of that. You know what I mean? They can't be left behind. And and we heard some news coming from Nipun Chopra this year about um, Hartford started up this year. They really rode the line on how they could treat players legally according to the league rules and how they couldn't. And the players in a lot of cases have to kind of go along with things because it's their livelihood. And so, you know, the CBA is going to come out and it could cause problems um, in that it's going to cost more, right, to get a player. We can't just have these large rosters on every team we're going to have to really take care of them and it's going to be hard to have the good stability of the league i think you nailed it there um but it is important and i think the usl has been smart enough to kind of figure it out this far and i think they'll they'll find their middle ground on how to keep going forward with that well i'm now intrigued about hartford what what type of thing were they doing that rode the line um okay so they we're not giving them a per diem for food, apparently. Mm-hmm. I, I hope. Shoot, I can't remember what Nipun actually said in his article and what I've heard. So don't take all of this for absolute truth. Okay. But you know, little things like that. They would they would not give them per diems, or they force them to play an extra exhibition game at the end of the year after the season was over. Um, you know, little things like MRIs were pushed back. We don't know whether that was the team or whether it was the doctor, but it it was very clear that Hartford players were all very upset. And, um, uh, the coach I'm blanking on his name, Jimmy Nielsen, uh, was their coach this year. And even he left the team on a three-year contract. We're not sure which way that went, but you know, things are bad there. And it became very apparent that a lot of the things Nipun was publishing were definitely true because of the, what happened after. Got it. Um, okay, let's let's focus on what happened this season then. Um, the big story that obviously caught my eye and caught, caught a lot of people's eyes was the uh, Phoenix Rising story. They went on a, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, a 20-game winning streak. Um, and they finished, what, like 18 points ahead of the second-place team in the West. How did Phoenix Rising not win USL Cup? Because the eventual champions were the Real Monarchs instead. You know, most people had them winning the whole league, even on top of uh, Louisville, who went on a good run, and all the best teams in the East have loaded rosters. Phoenix had a loaded roster, but they were just doing so well. They're so well put together. They're so well coached. Um, But, you know, 
um, after that 20-game streak, they got beat by the Monarchs shortly after, who were the eventual champions. And some little signs of wear and tear were showing up that perhaps even defenses were starting to figure out how to play Phoenix to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, I, I lean on a lot of it being tired legs, you know, some injuries perhaps we didn't all know about. And, uh, you know, if you read up on what Joe Lowry, uh, Joe Lowry talks about from The Athletic, Joe and Cleats, Rising Tactics on Twitter, yeah. uh, he kind of kept us abreast of that. And, and I think they just, you know, they peaked a little too soon, unfortunately, which is huge in an American playoff system, right? Of course, yeah, of course. It's all about that, right? Um, what about the eventual champions then, the Real Monarchs? Are they... Are they worthy champions? I know that's always sort of a loaded question because um, it implies a lack of faith in the playoff system. Um, but I'm like, are they worthy champions? And how did they do it? Like, what were the strengths of the Real Monarchs down the season? Always have a well-built ra- roster. And they tend to kind of pick a lot of the best players, you know, maybe not the actual best who you have to pay a ton of money for, but guys who are productive on smaller teams like Charleston Battery, they stole two of their best players a couple years ago and, and they're continuing to, uh, you know, produce for them. So anyway, they build a really good roster with really good build of players that are affordable and, and little splashes of guys who are really incredibly good. And, and, um, they just, they play an open attacking style. And this year, um, uh, what's his, uh, Alave, um, now I wrote down his name, Jameson Alave. I always mess up his first name. Former player, uh, right? Former RSL player. Exactly. Former center back for them. Um, he became their coach at some point this year and he started implementing this three back system with, you know, it just happened to be the three, you know, three great center backs who can play, you know, the two on the outside had the mobility and the speed to do that and also be a one V one shutdown center back. And, um, you know, it just worked. They were able to hold people off. They were able to uh, send numbers forward and have an open style um, and then in the final, they kind of adjusted a little bit to to take on an Eastern team because the two conferences do play quite different in, in most cases. Ooh, what's, what's the difference? So it's it's commonly believed and argued <laughs> that the East plays a more compact defensive style. They're more likely to press the heck out of you, um, depending on the team. Um, and then the West is very open. They'll sit back, they'll try to counter, and you have room to move and room to breathe and room to pass if you do want to. So um, that's kind of the way, and I find that to be true for the most part myself. Oh, that's fascinating to me, but I, I suppose it makes sense because even though they eventually meet in the playoffs, it really is two different leagues for the majority of the season, right? Is it um, home and away against everybody in your conference and no inter-conference play? Yes. All oh, right, yeah. So you really do have two completely different styles developing. That's that's interesting. It seems to mirror maybe more like what has happened in the rest of American sports. Very much so. Yeah, I bet you could do some comparisons with basketball and, and hockey and, and all of that. It's yeah, very much so. So I've got another question about Rail Monarchs. Um, again, correct me if I'm wrong. They are the sort of MLS two team to Rail Salt Lake. Oh, you're totally right. And there are different kinds of two teams throughout throughout the league. And there are the two teams that just play basically their best DA players with a couple of 20-year-olds, more or less. Yeah. Um, and then there's the New York Red Bulls, too, who really use their two-side, and, and they bring a lot of those players up to the senior team quite often. They rotate through. So you get a mix of a lot of DA players, but also some veterans that you know really deserve to play in MLS on a regular uh, basis. Um, the Monarchs, at some point, uh, Real Salt Lake built them their own um, their own area, their own training facilities. And it's right next to the academy. And they 
have their own, you know, soccer specific stadium with that can house, I think, 5,000 people or so. And they have a decent attendance or almost 2,000 on average. And so they have their own thing. And so it's a mix of they don't just not care about attendance. They actually market games. They have their own name. They have their own place to play that's not oversized. Um, and they don't just throw out DA players. They only have a few, actually. A lot of times they'll bring in a lot of veterans and a lot of the younger 20s. But, you know, a mix of having the younger players from the DA, but also a lot of players who can make the move up to the senior team, which about three to five have done that. Uh, and we're looking at David Ochoa as a player who could, you know, take the goalkeeper uh, crown uh, for the foreseeable future on that team. Oh, because Nick Romando just retired, obviously, yeah. Um, exactly. Do, do you feel like that's the correct way to do it, the way that Royal Monarchs have done it, to sort of have it as an independent team with opportunities for young players, but not to go all in on young players like, say, Tacoma Defiance did? You're going to hear one opinion from me, and I'm going to try to let you know what everyone feels. This is one of the biggest debates in the USL right now is – you know, some of these people have, let's say, um, Sporting Kansas City's uh, two team or Atlanta United's two team. Yeah. Almost these games, um, and it's just in a giant stadium uh, for for Swope Park, and all they are is throwing out a DA team, and it's just as an independent fan of an independent USL side, that is so hard to watch. Yeah. And to see these guys mostly get creamed by um, veteran adults in the USL just for the sake of developing those teams. And so as an independent fan, it's hard for me to see that. I like the mix. I appreciate what the Real Monarchs have done. I think they're the best example of a little bit of everything for a two-side. Uh, Tacoma Defiance pretty much throws out all the kids, but they also play in a baseball stadium in a different city. They have a 2,000 average attendance, so that's a nice mix in that way. But it's still hard to watch those games, and every once in a while they'll do that thing where they bring down like four or six MLS senior team players to get the minutes and you know cream the other team uh, in that case. So, um, you know, I think it's just one of those. You guys are really good on your podcast about having a gray area of argument, and there's no one truth here. There's no one good way to do it. But I know there are a few doing it badly, in my opinion. And I'd really like to see those ones that really don't seem to care about the USL except for the level of play either spend the money to improve the situation or go on down to USL League One um, is a big argument of mine. Yeah, so that actually that's been suggested or it's been rumored that um, the USL would like some of those MLS2 teams to drop down to USL League One, right? And sort of do what North Texas SC did, the FC Dallas um, affiliate and just, yeah, play your kids, but play them in the third tier instead of in the second tier. Do you see that as a good, it sounds like you do, don't you see that as a good solution where maybe a team like Tacoma Defiance is better off in League One. I think so. And I don't think the level, I think people were a little surprised that the level wasn't that bad. You know, North Texas had several players that went straight from League One all the way to FC Dallas and, and did just fine. Um, I won't say they were incredible, but, you know, Edwin Surreal, I think, got some time with North, Te- North yeah. Texas. Um, um, what's the striker's name? Really? Ricardo Pepe. Thank you, Ricardo Pepe. I'm really bad with names if you haven't been able to tell. So well, I, I remember because every time he played Richmond, he scored goals. Yeah, right. <laughs> he was really good for them. And he got some time with Dallas. And, and I think he performed fine for the situation he's in. So I think we're seeing that if, if they're able to prove that that is the case, that a two-team in League One can prep you for MLS, um, or you even can do a legitimate 
loan like the rest of the world does in in tier two, say like the you know English EFL Championship. You know those guys don't have guys that come in and out at will. They have guys that are loaned up there for at least three months. You know something like that would be nice for the championship, in my opinion, to make them more of a legit league around the world to be more comparable, which is their goal to be one of the best two uh, second tier leagues in the world. Uh, you can't do that with a two side happening. So they kind of got to you know figure things out, figure out what they want to be in order for that to to work out in the future. And and basically they've drawn a line where. We expect a 5,000-person stadium, and I think they're going to start raising the ante on what they expect, and and the two teams will just decide whether they want the level of play or they want to spend the money and just go from there. Uh, I'm not sure we'll see, at least from the league yet, them saying all two teams are gone or here, and so we'll see we'll see how that pans out. Okay, so maybe it won't be like a big diktat comes down. It'll be like maybe just a bit of pressure here and there and maybe a raising yeah. of some minimum standards that you either, yeah, like you said, choose to meet or or drop down. Yeah, I, that's what I foresee, and I, I hope that's kind of the way it's handled. Uh, there's rumors that MLS may say, listen, buddy, it's all or nothing. So I don't know if that's <laughs> true, but they could do that, you know, so we'll see. Well, actually, I'd love to talk about the relationship between MLS and uh, USL because it seems like it's somewhat cooperative in a way that obviously relationships between leagues in the past have not been. And I wonder how how cooperative is it like in reality? Because from the outside, it looks like they're all working well together. So how cooperative is it and how competitive is it between the two leagues? From the outside, it looks like they're working together. I agree with you, but I would say Twitter disagrees with you very much. So, ah. and so you get these little situations where people really read into what's happening or what could be the case. And it's just these rumors just inflame and get out of control. And even I start to buy into some of them, and I, and I try to reach out to the league to kind of clear them up. I feel like that's one of the best things I can do for the league is kind of clear up rumors. Yeah. Um, but, you know, someone in a really good position, uh, trustworthy, and someone I, I can trust um, told me that it's like two brothers. You know, it, they don't have the same aim, but they are basically working together. They're a family, and they fight, and they may not agree on every single thing, but for the most part – they're working together toward one goal, which is, you know, having a really good American soccer pyramid. And so, you know, it, there's give and take. And so we'll see in December, it's rumored that the USL MLS deal is up for a renegotiation. So we'll see if anything comes up next month. That's next month. And, um, you know, go from there. But I, I foresee them working together for another three years or so, at least um, at, at worst. <laughs> I cannot see them uh, cutting ties completely. And it seems to me that it's almost like uh, what you think of as a regular pyramid, like you would see in European nations, where MLS is the top division, USL Championship is the second division, uh, USL League One is the third division. But there's no, there's no pro rel. There's just um, but you can like spend some time in USL Championship. It's almost like you establish your business bona fides and you get quote unquote promoted <laughs> to Major League Soccer by proving yourself down there. Is that? Sort of that's sort of the system we've ended up with, right? I mean, you might as well just call it, you know, pro rel via capitalism, you know. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and I, I could even see if if pro rel doesn't happen in the USL, it is rumored that it will happen between the two leagues within its own league structure. Um, it could happen, but I think if it doesn't, then you'll see the same thing. You'll see some teams be successful over and over and over and have a good business plan, just bounce right up to championship based on money alone. So, we'll see. I, would would you? I don't I don't know your your feelings about ProRail, but would you be happy with that as a as a situation if it if it brought stability and opportunity, even though it's not proper ProRail? Um, oh, you mean 
uh, the capitalistic version of it. Yeah, if that if that really became the like the system where that just kept happening between League One and the Championship and between the Championship and MLS. I mean, I, if they deserve it and they're willing to put the money forward, then yes, they deserve to be up. A lot of this league, you know, there's some teams that can pull their weight because they have more money and some that barely get by because they can't. It's just going to be more exciting if, if there's more capital beat to be spent and better players and better facilities. It's just going to be good for the league. And, and furthermore, for the pyramid, you may need to send some teams that can't afford it down so that they can be successful in a lower level. I think it's an okay way to do it if you have no other choice, you know, and, and I foresee that happening in the future if it continues to have no other choice. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by Policy Genius. To properly provide for their families, most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage than they get through their jobs, which means that your employer life insurance is leaving you underinsured. That's probably true if you're a USL player, but it's where Policy Genius can help both USL players and you, listener. Policy Genius is the easiest way to shop for a life insurance plan that's not tied to your job. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. And then the good news is the life insurance you buy through Policy Genius stays with you even if you leave your job. Like say you get an offer from the Premier League. Um, Policy Genius doesn't just make it easy to get life insurance. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance and disability insurance too. So when you're looking at your workplace benefits this month, make sure to double check your life insurance options. Then go to policygenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Let's get into some, um, some players. Um, I think I emailed you uh, before we recorded this to like, have a think about maybe three players who've really impressed in the USL Championship, East or West, um, and sort of what they've done to impress. So would you mind running me through um, the three players um, I've, I've hope you've selected? <laughs> Thank goodness I did some research. Um, Joe Greenspan is my favorite center back in, uh, in the USL, and he's six foot six. He's a big boy. He plays for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, which is famously led, famously in this league at least, led by Bob Lilly, who is the defensive powerhouse of the last 10, 20 years. I forget how long he's been in the league, but the guy has a lot of championships with the, um, uh, with the oh shoot, um, not Rockford, anyway, with uh, his former team. And um, Joe Greenspan is just like the the big center back that's going to destroy everyone. He also has the smarts. He's really good at stepping and, and being in the right place at the right time. Obviously, he's very good at putting in goals with his head as well. So he's my favorite center back. He um, started out with the Rapids. He's a Navy graduate, and he did have to serve a year with the Navy. So he's, I he's remember put a this. Bit... Yeah, he, yeah. There, was, there was a thing where they drafted him and then lost him essentially to the Navy, right? Yeah, after about a year of the, of him kind of being able to work it out for a, a season, he lo- he left for a year. Eventually, was traded to Minnesota United, and then went to the USL, where he's been dominating ever since. So I hope he gets up another uh, another chance in MLS in the next year or two. He's 27, so there's a chance of it. Uh, okay, you got a couple more players for me. Yes, the next one is Canardo Forbes, who's 31. Um, but this year, he's just. He also plays for the Riverhounds. Man, I didn't realize I chose two Riverhounds here, but you know he has <laughs> they five top goals. Of these, right? nine. Yeah, they were. Um, I think they won the Eastern Conference uh, title there. Um, but Canardo Forbes, five goals, nine assists, eighty-three percent completion rate. But he's not just known for his passing ability and keeping the ball moving. 
the guy can get stuck in. He's really good. Um, Jamaican, so very, you know, he's very athletic on top of all of those things. So uh, just a really good player. You can really tell when he's in the game and when he's not. I think he subbed in at half in one game, and it was just a total turnaround for the team. So he's one of my favorites and very under appreciated in most cases until this year. Um, I've heard Bob Lilly does everything he can to keep that guy on his team for, for very clear reasons, I think. so. And sorry, remind me, what, what position does he play? Uh, defensive midfield. Okay, defensive midfield. All right, so we've got uh, one more. Uh, is, it an, is it another Pittsburgh player? It is not, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, it is the man that is pretty much held responsible for making Phoenix as good as they are. Solomon Asante is a Ghanaian uh, right-winger, uh, Joe Greenspan is six foot six and twenty seven years old. Solomon Asante is five foot two and twenty nine years old. Yeah, he's a little guy. That might even be uh, uh, thinking a little bit positively there with his height. But <laughs> that's um, what that's what he puts on Tinder. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, twenty two goals, seventeen assists. Uh, this guy killed it this year, and he killed it last year. He won league MVP for you know all the right reasons. He's one of the guys that was slowing down at the end of the season. I'm not sure he scored a goal in the final four to five games. Mm. Um, so you know that was a big reason I think they slowed down a bit. Uh, but the guy's just super athletic. He you can't get the ball off him at five foot two. He's learned how to you know the mix of being physical in a league like the USL, but also he's an expert diver. You know. So, <laughs> um, you know, so he's figured it out, and the guy can score goals from anywhere. He's amazing. Um, really so, good player, probably the best in the league. So when I'm picturing an, an Asante goal, am I picturing him um, almost like a – I know this is a, a very extreme comparison, but like a Mohamed Salah coming in from the right wing, like dribbling in at goal from an angle? Or, or is it something yes. else? It is that. No, that's exactly it. And it is usually on a counterattack because he's got his speed. He can dribble at you, but mostly he's on the move. Maybe even like a, a Pulisic, if he's on the move and he's kind of shifty, you know, he's able to kind of get around or get just enough space to get a goal on frame, even if it's outside the box. It's just ridiculous the kind of things he's able to do. And um, it just, by way of having him up there, it makes every other attacker on that team get open at that point. And those guys do capitalize for sure. Adam John and Junior Flemings, two guys that were very uh, productive this year for Phoenix. And, and part of it was that. What about youngsters? Were there any um, youngsters in the league? And really uh, guys that I'm thinking are, are probably thinking, OK, I'm young, I'm performing in the USL Championship. I maybe have a shot at going to to the next level and still having a really maybe big career in MLS. Is there anyone who fits that profile? And it's less, honestly, than a couple of years ago when Real Salt Lake had Ledesma and Mendez mm. was coming with Los Dos. Um, so it is less guys. Back in those two years uh, ago, there were tons of them. And I think MLS and, and foreign leagues have caught on and, and they're all leaving the USL before they really get a lot of time. But the obvious one we talked about already, David Ochoa, 18-year-old goalkeeper. In goal, he did really well in the final with the Monarchs. Um, he's just going to be solid. He's going to move up. I hope he gets his chance at MLS next year, even part-time, if not full-time. And uh, the guy's just been really solid. You've been able – I mean, you guys watch him closely with the uh, U-20s. And yeah. I think he got first looks with the U-17s. And he's just taken over for obvious reasons. He does really well with the national team, too. What about on the coaching front? Is there anyone that sort of made a name for themselves? Uh, I guess Bob Lilly had already got a name for himself, but there are there any, uh, yeah. any, any up-and-coming coaches who you know, are, are m- making their reputation in the championship? 
Yeah, Matt Doyle always mentions Ian Russell, the coach of Reno, 1863, uh, 1865, pardon me. Um, I like him as well. He's always had a really attacking team and he likes to put players around the entire field that can score goals in different ways. And he plays very open and they're fun to watch. Um, they can be a little streaky because of how open they are, but he has really good teams year after year after year. And so he's one that could move up. You know, they are part of the earthquake system. So Ian Russell, maybe he'll get a chance um, if we ever do lose. You know, we do not want to lose him, but if the earthquake position ever becomes open. Um, but uh, the other one is Hackworth at Louisville City. Hackworth, if you break down what happened in the playoffs with Louisville City moving up to get to that final game, Hackworth really moved some chess pieces and would really make some crazy moves to the point where they were down to Indy 11 in the Eastern Conference final. And he just started pulling a center back and started throwing in attackers. And I thought, oh, gosh, this is going to get ugly. He's thrown in the kitchen sink and and uh, there's just going to be a couple counterattacks and this game's over. Well, that's the game that they came back from one zero, um, you know, lost to winning three to one in the end. And it was after he made all those all those moves. And, yeah, he threw a lot of attackers in there. But that is just a team that he's created that can rotate like crazy. And even though there's a center back on, there's always someone covering in case of a, of a turnover. And um, just what he was able to do with that team, uh, a team that was already good but had some faults when he took over um, for uh, O'Connor, who went over to Orlando City. Um, he's just really, I'm impressed with what he's done, and I think he should get a chance up top. Uh, Rick Chance is the Phoenix rising coach who was able to take you know, an all-star team, more or less, for the USL and coach them up really well. I think they became better than the sum of their parts, um, even as good as they were. So uh, Rick Chance is another shout. So the most famous name, at least to me, going into it, I recognize Hackworth's name because he was the U17 coach, right, from that, that Andrew Carlton yeah. uh, U17 team. But the most famous coach in all of the USL championship has to be Eric Winolda at the Las Vegas Lights, right? I noticed they finished bottom half of the table in the West. So... I think it was his first full season as a coach, or his first season as a coach with Las Vegas. Um, what did we learn about Eric Ronaldo, the coach, this year, if anything? Not much, to be honest. I think they were very similar to previous coaches. And, um, you know, Vegas is just like a carnival. They're they're in it to really put on a show. They do really crazy things. They did a, you know, they dropped $1,000 or something from a helicopter during halftime and just let it, <laughs> you know. They just put on a show, and it's a really good show. Their supporter groups are really amazing. I've gone to a game out there, and um, and now where they play, Cashman Field, is now soccer-specific. It used to be a baseball field, but now it's soccer-specific. So they're doing amazing things out there, uh, but the soccer on field has never really picked up. They've become a really inconsistent side, or they have been the entire time. Very attacking, very glitzy in, in different different positions but you know they never seemed to play as a team I think they were a little better this year in that way and he was able to pull a lot of guys from like the Cal United system um, from you know out in his days playing in the amateur soccer leagues or, or coaching the amateur soccer leagues so some really interesting players came in were really talented did well for him and they improved their team quality but for the most part they weren't much to look at I think Winaldo Ronaldo was also kind of fun because, you know, he's, he's got a mouth on Twitter. So he said some interesting things here as well. So are you kind of giving him a pass in terms of uh, like tactical coaching ability because it seems to be there's some sort of um, uh, demand that Las Vegas just plays a crazy attacking style of soccer? 
or or does Ronaldo was that Ronaldo's choice or was that sort of more of a club identity that we just have to do like it's it goes with the dropping a thousand dollars from a helicopter it's a mix I think perhaps you know their owner's very interesting he's an interesting guy and he's the one driving those crazy the craziness the crazy carnival stuff but I do think he expects you know open fun to watch soccer um, and like I said, I do think Winalda brought a little balance to that, just a little bit. But I'm with you. I'm not sure. I'm asking the same question. I'm not sure where it starts and where it ends on on who wants what. But uh, I do know Vegas has been about the same every year. Not quite. <laughs> and, you know, flashes of brilliance and fun, but, you know, can't can't defend out a lot of games and things like that. So, so they could put together a nice highlight reel of, of the season, maybe, if they if they needed to. Um, what well, goalkeeper that took the ball out of the box and counterattacked all the way to half field so that was fun to watch all right i'll, I'll look for that i'd like to see that um yeah. were, there, were there any teams that sort of didn't finish necessarily um like near the top of the table but maybe overperformed expectations are there any sort of you know uh, anyone punching above their perceived weight i think austin bold surprised me because they brought in by far they were the oldest average age team in the usl but they brought in a lot of experienced guys from MLS, former MLS players, I think even a Liga Mekis player or two. And, you know, they did what kind of you think old men might be able to do, which <laughs> sometimes they got outrun. And a lot of times they kind of had a low block situation. But how old, they, how old are we talking? Like 50? All right. I mean, old, <laughs> I'm 36. So they're probably all around my age. Or younger, oh, I but, see. All right. Yeah. But towards but, the end of a professional career. Yeah, very much so. And there were multiple players in their 30s. So. Um, you know, but, but they they have the wisdom, you know, a lot of old guys, they figure out how to not have to run as much yeah. and yet they're still <laughs> in the right place. Um, I think on your show, even they talked about what's the difference between a German style, uh, roster build versus an American. And in Germany, a lot of those lower divisions, they'll bring in the, the big slow guys that are really smart. Whereas yeah. we will often default to the athletic freak who, you know, can't, <laughs> His terrible touch, you know, he can't hold the ball at his feet. But um, anyway, I think Austin Bold overperformed to what I expected, um, and it was fun to watch that. Um, all right, so going forward to 2020, uh, what sort of changes do we expect um, in the USL Championship? Like, do you expect some of those MLS two teams to drop down? Are there any teams? Le- I think there are a couple of teams leaving to join MLS, right, or at least one. Um, and, are, and are there any? Are there any expansion teams coming in for 2020? Um, oh shoot! I was in the middle of researching my 2020 expansion teams. I believe Omaha is coming in next year, um, and so that'll be a really you know man. We need to really uh, play up some of these midwestern towns that have really good uh, soccer potential. Yeah, um, Omaha is one of like the poster child for that for sure. Um, but 2020, I think you know to work toward that pro rel hope that that USL keeps kind of touting. They even touted it during the halftime of the final with the uh, league president, Jake Edwards, um, they're as soon as next year, they're going to start a 20 in 2020, they're going to start an interleague uh, tournament. And so it'll be kind of like the open cup, but it's all USL league one and all mm. USL championship teams. And it's to kind of test the level of play between the two leagues to make sure there's not a giant gap. And so, you know, if that goes well, if they find that, yeah, some of the best league one teams are beating some of the worst uh, championship teams, that pro rel thing might be more and more viable, you know, and, and they might be able to use that to decide, well, how many can do it? Is Are we talking one 
gets relegated each year and promoted? Or are we talking three? You know, is the level even closer than we think? So yeah. it's just going to be one of those things after a few years of that. That's something to watch, that we want that competition to be tough. We want it to be surprising how many League One teams do well if we want pro-rel in the near future. And that could happen next year as well. Um, but, you know, it's not next year, but Queensboro FC is going to be headed by David Villa as an owner in 2021. All right. And Diego Loyal were also announced. Landon Donovan is an owner and coach of that team, maybe even GM, which worries me. I haven't figured out the details there, <laughs> uh, but they'll be coming in. And um, there's a lot of really cool teams coming in in the future. Even Des Moines Menace are, are going to you know, put a team finally into uh, USL championship. Um, you also you mentioned to me off air um, something about USL academies. Now, as I understand it, this is different to the um, US soccer development academies that a lot of MLS teams have. Can you explain the USL academy situation to me? Well, I think in a lot of cases, the USL is looking to use those young players. I think they see uh, potential in the sale of young players off to, if not MLS, if MLS doesn't want to buy in, we've seen that Europe has interest already. And so they're trying to kind of encourage usl teams as they become more and more successful and have um you know stability that they start an academy if they haven't already and really start pushing young players into their rosters and and building them up which is just going to help the united states system in general and so i think it's all of these things combined Um, they finally started a tournament this year it started with under 17 usl teams on all levels all the way down to league two um, which used to be the pdl uh, participated in this. And so they've done the first phase. Um, you know, my team, St. Louis FC, did really well, and they're going to move on to the next phase. But um, next year, I think they're going to add in U15s. And eventually, the goal is to start an academy league um, mm. that, you know, be not the DA. It'll be USL's academy league, kind of like the DA, but not the DA. So I don't know exactly what that will look like. And, you know, I don't know if this has anything to do with any. This is one of those rumors like do MLS and USL hate each other? Are they trying to um, take each other out? You know, MLS has rumored to have their own academy league. Uh, They just restructured the DA that seemed to favor MLS uh, academies. It sure did. It sure did. Yeah. (laughs) So if this wasn't a direct counter to all of those things, it sure is good timing for the USL to really take care of their their clubs and their future players um, and, and even future revenue. You know, that's that's yeah. the kind of goal there. So is there anything about the USL, the championship or league one that I haven't asked you about that you feel like is a big, a big USL topic? Because I think I'm in that sort of um, that Donald Rumsfeld situation of I don't know what I don't know. You've really hit the good ones. I said you had really good questions in our email and, and you, do, you hit almost all of them. I think t- we've touched on it. The last thing I want to talk about is I think my favorite interview from a USL perspective in a podcast this year was, was when um, Adam Bells at Scuffed interviewed the GM for OC, Orange County SC. His name's Oliver or something. I'm so sorry I forgot the name. But please do look up that, that interview because this guy – has great vision for his club and how to use young players coming up in their system. They have a 16 year old goalkeeper that started lots of games this year uh, named Cervantes, um, that's been playing also with the U 17s, I believe. And, um, their goal is not, you know, the problem we talked about earlier with MLS teams, not willing to spend the money. We don't want to do what MLS has done in the past where we can't send a player off to Europe because, the money they're offering us isn't worth the league losing that big name, right? That's right. a thing in MLS. The USL doesn't want to fall into that trap. And Oliver had this really good idea, and I think MLS teams are even starting to do this, 
where they don't put a hindering number on Cervantes. Let's say MLS or a Scandinavian club wants to buy this player at a young age. They're just going to put, you know, a fee, a percentage fee for the next sell-on, a sell-on clause ah. that's a little bit higher than you would expect. So, you know, this Scandinavian club may get a really good goalkeeper that's really good by the time he's 20 or 22, and then they may sell him on for, let's say, $10 million. Well, 20% of $10 million is a heck of a lot of money for a USL club. Yeah, I, I couldn't say, possibly work it out, but yeah, it's a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, or two million rather. So these guys are looking forward, if they do that year after year or they do it every other year with a player and they're able to make money and have this pipeline of cash, that does a lot for a USL club. And so I love that aim. I I love that idea of of how to move forward with with young players when there isn't a solidarity payment system. Um, USL teams are having to get creative. And I hope my team looks into that. I hope even MLS teams look into that. So um, you've given a plug to Scuffed. Um, <laughs> people are listening to the Total Soccer Show. Uh, we can't let you go without plugging the USL show. Um, uh, la- I, I, was, I was looking at the feed last night. You hadn't yet published um, the championship rev- uh, game review. I'm assuming that that part is coming soon. Starting Friday, which is tomorrow night. So yeah, that'll come out over the weekend. So it'll be in your podcast uh, apps over the weekend. And I'm sure you'll listen to it Monday morning on the way to work or something. But um, yeah, and, and we're part of the Beautiful Game Network, which is really just a network full of just full of USL podcasts. And um, so if you just look up the Beautiful Game Network at bgm.fm, um, that's a really good place to start if you want to start learning about a team in your area, maybe closer than your MLS side. You ought to go to a game because more often than not, the um, the game day thrills are so good. It's really interesting. You have access. You talk to players. You shake their hands. It's just a it's a different feel, and it's a it's really fun. The access is just incredible, and the level of play is getting better and better every year. And then, in terms of the USL show, do you guys take some time off for the uh, for the off season? Yes. Or do we- <laughs> sounds I'm like a little burned out. Sounds like you're partly looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling it. But we have a lot of plans for the off season, and and I kind of head a lot of those up. And I think a lot of our other guys are going to head up a lot of interviews. Um, Michael Chang is going to get interviewed. David Ochoa is being interviewed in the near future. Um, and so, you know, we're going to have a lot of those interviews coming up with a lot of players and coaches and GMs. And, um, a lot of those end up being a little bit more interesting than some of our fun podcasts on the weekly basis basis. All right. And I think I, I want to try and make a promise to our listeners and to you that we'll do a better job of checking in, um, on the USL championship, uh, next season. Hopefully feel we can get, we can get you back, uh, like sometime in 2020, uh, we can we can f- get a get a feel for the league before it's over next next season. Um, until then, I'll say thank you, Phil, for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, Daryl, so much. Appreciate the the time, listeners. Thank you for listening. And Total Soccer Show will be back tomorrow with another episode.